Good morning, everyone. We're just here to hear the word of the Lord. I, you, know, you know I always tell you about how scared I am to come up the front. But you know I am empowered to come up the front because the Holy Spirit is what is empowering this. And so this is the word of the Lord to you today from the Lord. Now I put some notes together and that's just to keep me from keeping you guys till five o'clock today. <laughs> but, but the Lord has something to say to us and I want us to capture it and, and even try to put it in practice. Um, um, one of the things that uh, the eldership, when we meet, we talk about uh, the needs of the church and where we want the church to go. And one of the ways that we wanted to see our church develop is an enrichment in our worship of God. You know, the people of God, when they worship God, the more they worship God, the more they reflect the image of God. And the more they grow, the more effective, the more they move in the purposes of God. So worship is very important. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about worshiping God. And um, before I get on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And thank you that you're with us. Lord, as we learn more from you, Lord, about how to approach you and worship, Lord, be glorified, because that's our purpose, Lord. That's our reason for being here, that your purposes and your mission would move forward and you'd be glorified, Lord. And so in all we say and do, Lord, be glorified. Help us to learn your word and to actualize your word to your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Um, there's a couple of scriptures that I'm going to read. Um, and um, I hope that we'll glean from those scriptures what the Lord has to say to us. Um, but let me tell you a little story. Um, not too long ago in the pandemic, you know, all of us have been in the pandemic and that's changed our lives quite a bit. And so we spent, I spent an inordinate time at home, just at home in the house. As a matter of fact, uh, I used to like to hang out in my driveway a lot in, in the yard. I don't even do that that much. Now I think, well, when spring comes, maybe I'll bloom out a little bit. But, you know, we spent a lot of time in that. So one day, uh, about two months ago, my wife and I uh, were sitting around the house. She was in the living room. I was in the family room. And I had some kind of background music on. I was listening to the music. And uh, this song came on. I don't even remember what the song was. It was a secular song. I don't even remember what it was, but I remember getting up and going out into the living room and I said, uh, Swayzine, uh, uh, let's just listen to this song. And so uh, she was wondering what was going on with me, but uh, so we started listening to the song and uh, I said, listen to the words of the song, aren't they beautiful? She said, yeah, and I listened to the the cadence of the song, the, you know, the, the melody of the song. The song, it was a beautiful song. And we just got so involved in looking at and listening to and experiencing that song that in a few minutes, Swayzeekin and I were dancing in the living room. Now, I, I know you wouldn't want to see that because <laughs> uh, I, I don't even like to remember it too much. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, 
it, it, it said to me, it, I, and I told her, I said, you know, this song we usually use as background music in our house. I mean, you know, you, you'd, you'd hear it and nobody pay any attention. But we turned our attention to this song and we got so involved in the song that, man, we just, we just got fully involved in it. So while we were there, I said, you know, the Lord spoke to me during that time. And he said, you know, you can be like that to the Lord. And so we were sitting there in the living room and we have a, 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 a plant there. Uh, about four years ago, uh, uh, Dr. Adelini and, and Molly, his wife, had came by and had dinner with us and she brought us a beautiful little house plant, not very big, you know, just a little orchid. And Swayzine has kept that thing and watered it and, and, and everything. And orchids, for some reason, every once in a while, they'll bloom. Just a little, you know, not big and huge, but just a little bloom. At any rate, this orchid had bloomed a little bit. And I said, Sway, come over and let's look at this bloom. So we started looking at the bloom. And man, we started realizing this bloom is beautifully made. It has just intricate colors. And then I looked at, it even has patterns in the, in the variegation of the bloom so that you could see intricate working veins and I mean, you know, all kinds of things that I never even paid attention. I'm not a flower person, but, but as we looked at this bloom, I said, you know what? This is showing us some of the glory of God. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament, that's all down here, shows his handiwork. And I said, Swayze, look at the handiwork of God. Look at this beautiful little bloom here that we just pass by every day. You know, I don't even think about that bloom when I'm, you know, around the house. But we looked at and we saw it. Now, I'm not telling you to worship plants. No, <laughs> no. But it caused us to worship the God who had made this plant. And we ended up worshiping God. We had a little worship session right in the, the living room because we realized that everything that God has made, he's made it to give himself glory. And so this, this little orchid was there giving glory to God. And we ended up thanking God for how excellent, how creative he was and how wonderful he was to give us the joy of seeing this little plant. So um, there's a scripture that kind of goes along with that that will help in, as, as we talk today. Uh, and I, I hope you'll follow along with me. It's in John 4, in the, uh, the fourth chapter of John. And uh, it's, it's just two little verses. Uh, John 4, 23 and 24. If you want to follow along, in, uh, uh, you can, uh, oh my, look at this, I'm impressed. Uh, um, you can follow along in the overhead there. Uh, I'll tell you about that. God is good in all, all kinds of ways. Um, this scripture says, but the hour is coming and now and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now, 
we've read that scripture all along. It seems that every time I've read that scripture, though, uh, through the years, I've kind of wondered, what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? Um, I think I know what it means, but you know, there's some deep truth in that, that I think the Lord can speak to us today to help us to enrich our worship before him. Um, and so there's a illustrative example of that in the Old Testament. And uh, let me read this scripture to you out of the Old Testament in uh, Exodus, the second chapter. And it's a nice little passage, but I want to read the whole passage and then make two or three good points to help us to worship, to understand worship, to understand our approach to worship so that we'll worship him in spirit and in truth. In the second chapter of Exodus, in the 23rd verse, I'm going to start reading there and go on down into the third chapter. But, um, well, maybe I'll read that and it'll give you context rather than me giving you context. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for res ref rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And then the third chapter goes on to talk about Moses and the burning bush. And let me read uh, a number of verses in here. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked. And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see what this, to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet. For the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I'll send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children, 
I'm sorry, let me keep up with this. Who am I that I should uh, go to Pharaoh? I uh, lost my place. Here it is. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am sent me to you. That's a kind of long passage, but it has some things in it that I want to, us to glean some of these truths because I think that they have application for us in worshiping God. And uh, I've been hanging around uh, uh, the Adelini brothers long enough that uh, when you present something, you want to have at least three, three points. There you go. E exactly. And so I got three points. And, um, and, 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 and we, we will go on with this, but you'll understand these three points. If they seem a little, oh no, they're not forced. I think they come right out of this. Um, how can we worship God in spirit and truth? Um, in this scriptural account of Moses and the burning bush, I want you to understand part of the context. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I want to say a couple of things about that because today a lot of us kind of feel put upon, man, this disease, pandemic, and our lifestyles are disrupted. I had plans for 2020 and they just got trashed and oh, and we got stress and sickness in the land and oh, you know, God saw all of that just as he saw the children of Israel. And of course, they, I'm sure, had a long list of things. We're in slavery, and these Egyptians are putting a hard task on us. Oh, they had a long list, and oh, we have our long list too. But remember this, in this scripture, God saw that, and God knew. When I read that, and God knew, I said, why does, why does this have to be written in the scripture, that God knew? Because God knows everything, right? But the writer here wanted to express to us and, and underline the fact that it was on God's heart, the needs of his people. That as you think about God, do understand it's not going unnoticed by God, the experience that you're having today. And he has something to say to you. And so in the context of this, God knew it was on his heart. At the, even at the beginning of Moses' experience with him, God had something on his heart. And that's the context in which we start this story of Moses. And so Moses is um, working for his father-in-law Jethro. Uh, he's uh, in a kind of fairly low, uh, in our days, he would probably be making less than the minimum wage. Uh, he was just a shepherd. You know, you don't make very much money being a hired shepherd. You know, if you own the flock, you probably can make some money off of, uh, you know, selling the sheep and everything. But if you're just keeping the, the flock, 
there was not a whole lot of money to be made. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was kind of feeling sorry for himself and saying, you know, man, I sure be glad when times get better and, you know, I can, uh, uh, you know, have a flock of my own uh, or, or something like that. But uh, in this situation, uh, he was keeping the flock and he went out and for some reason, he saw a bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. Can you imagine that today? If you saw a bush that was burning, but it didn't burn up, I mean, it's just still burning. You say, well, wait a minute now, this, this, some ashes are supposed to fall off of this thing. and Pretty soon the thing's gonna be disintegrated. Well, it caught his attention. And so the scripture says, Moses, here's our first point, he turned aside, T. This is my first point here. He turned aside. Whatever he was doing, he was keeping sheep. There wasn't nothing wrong with that. But to worship and to meet God, you first have to turn aside. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. Moses was employed. That was his job. He was supposed to, to stay on the job. But here he is turning aside to see this great sight. And the scripture goes on to say, and when God saw that he turned aside, I, I kind of wondered about that because that's when God said, hey, he's turned aside. He has stopped what he's doing. He has, even though what he was doing wasn't a sin, it's not a sin to raise sheep, but he put it aside because there's something here I got to see here. And it was actually the angel of the Lord. Now, does that have application to us? I think it does. Because if we want to see, if we want to experience the presence of God, we have to put it at such a priority that we turn aside. All right? Now, for us, most of us don't tend sheep. But there are things in our lives from which we should turn aside when we want to worship God. And I want to challenge you. What is it in your life that you need to turn aside from when you worship God? You know, some people come to church and they say, oh, I'll worship God, I'll sing a few songs. But all along is going over in their head. Hey, what are we gonna have for lunch today? Where are we going tomorrow? This project that I'm gonna, uh, what are some new ideas? No, you gotta turn aside if you want to meet God. Now, if you keep raising your sheep, if you keep doing what you're doing, you may miss that great opportunity. Because you'll see in the Moses story, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to, to Moses, right. that he met God, right. that he saw God, that he had to turn his face away because God was there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm suggesting that turning aside is very important. And we ought to say to ourselves, if I'm going to meet Jesus, what is it from which I need to turn aside? What is it that I need to turn off and say, look, that we, I can return to that, but right now it's time to worship the Lord. When you, when you turn aside, what happens is you refocus your attention on something that you haven't been paying attention to. He wasn't looking at that bush all along but it caught his attention and he turned aside. All right? Um, 
So turning aside means stopping your present pursuit, giving priority to meeting with God or to seeing God or to hearing God or to experiencing God and giving full attention. You know that little story that I started out with? You know, it could be something ever so small. If you give it your full attention, it's going to mean more to you. How much more seeking after God when you give him your full attention? If you give him your full attention, there's no limit to what God can reveal to you by showing himself to you. So I'm saying turning aside is very important. It involves many times for us breaking the normal routine, you know? Oh, I do this every, every Sunday. You know, I come here, I sit here for a while, I sing a few songs, and then uh, whatever, whatever. No, turn aside. Break the routine and say, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to meet with God because I'm suggesting that just as Moses had an experience where he turned aside and saw and heard and got direction from God, I think we have the same opportunity. I think we have the same opportunity. The scriptures let us know that the Holy Spirit resides in this temple and he can speak to us. He can reveal to us. He can give us insight. Well, we'll go on with the account of Moses here. The second thing, the second point after turning aside is take off your sandals. What God told him, he said, don't come near. Take the sandals off your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Understand this. Why did God, why did God ask Moses or command Moses to, set, to take sandals off his feet? And I think that there's some truths in there that we ought to, to pay attention to. You know what sandals are? They're shoes. And shoes are the things that kind of separate you a little bit from getting into all of the filth and the dirt of the ground. If you're a shepherd and you're walking around in the, in the, in the pasture, man, if you don't have shoes on, <laughs> I mean, you're going to have stinky feet anyway, but I mean, if you don't have shoes on, man, I tell you, you really got a problem at the end of the day. But sandals help you to at least be a little insulated from that. So all the filth and all the grime and all the dirt and everything, God said, look, you're coming to me. Respect me. Take all the grime of the world. Think about how we walk in this world and all of the stuff that we hear and bombarded and, and everything. Take that off when we come to worship. Put it aside. We're on holy ground. When we worship, I'm going to tell you this. We just think worshiping is singing a few songs. But when we worship, we are actually talking to and receiving from God. There ought to be a, a, an increased level of respect in this process. This is holy ground. It's holy ground when you're worshiping God. Now, when you worship something else, no big thing. But when you worship the king of kings, if you understand this example, God said, look, don't even come close. <laughs> Respect this. Don't worry about your own personal convenience. Now, most people like to keep their shoes on. Me, I like to keep my shoes on because my feet are not pretty feet, you know. 
and uh, I don't like to look at them too much, but, but, but God told him, take your shoes, take these sandals off your feet. It meant exposing yourself. It meant God seeing your feet. But it meant this is more important than my convenience. I'm here for his honor. And so whatever I need to do, whether I need to take off my shoes, whether I need to bow down, whatever I need to do, I need to do that because I'm going into an experience of being on holy ground. I'm going to worship God. So the second point then is take off the sandals off your feet. And I'd like to issue another challenge to you. Think in your own mind. What are the things that entail you taking the sandals off your feet? Some of the things that I could suggest is not worrying so much about your own convenience and understanding that you're approaching the presence of God. That not to, to, to separate yourself from all of those things that don't point to the glory of God. I mean, you, you'll have to go back to your job later on. Those things, you may have to return to them. But while you are worshiping God, like Moses, take the sandals off your feet because you're standing on holy ground. And then the third thing, um, turn aside, take the sandals off your feet. And then while you're taking the sandals off your feet, one of the things, well, not, let, me, let me finish this second point. While you're taking the sandals off your feet, expect to experience God. You see, when you've done that, you've made some move to prepare yourself to hear from. I could say this term, and, and, and I'm taking a little liberty, to see God. You'll perceive him. You will, because that's what, that's what happened to Moses. Moses saw God. Now, I know that there's a whole lot of theology that says you can't see God and live. But Moses had to turn his self, turn away because the angel of the Lord was there. But later on in that account, when you get home, you want to read that account. God said, here's what to tell the people, that you saw me. Hmm. Well, you know, <laughs> you have to take what the scriptures say, uh, 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 that, that, that Moses saw God. So I'm saying to you that maybe you won't see an image, a, a human image, but you will perceive God in such a way that it will make a difference in your life. All right? Um, the next point uh, is... Trust that God will be with you. Um, one of the things that Moses said, who am I that I should go to the Egyptians and rescue them? He said, who am I? He asked God that. And if, if I were writing the scripture, I would have thought, hmm, let's see, God's going to tell him, well, you're of this tribe of Israel and you're, uh, you're raised by the Egyptians, and you're, uh, you're right now in a temporary job of 
caring for the sheep, uh, you know. That's the human response to who am I. But when he asked God, you know what God said? Moses said, who am I? God said, I will be with you. Well, what does I will be with you have to do with defining who Moses was? And I say everything. Because if you look at who Moses was, Moses was a murderer. Moses was a fugitive. He was running away from justice. The reason why he was in Midian is that he had bumped somebody off and he knew that the, the law <laughs> was, was, was pursuing him. He was, he was, he was working a, a minimum, minimum wage job, you know, out there keeping sheep. If you look at the human perspective of who he was, but God said, I will be with you. And you know what that meant? You're going to lead a nation. You're going to deliver a whole people. You are going to carry out the purposes of God. You are going to be a different person altogether. I had a, a, a list of a couple of things here uh, in my notes. You're going to be a prophet. You're going to be a deliverer. You're going to be a miracle worker. Do you know God let him... He gave him a, a rod that he could throw out on the ground and it'd become a snake and then he'd pick it up and it'd become a rod again. Or God gave him this ability too. I was talking to somebody and I said, I believe that he, God gave him this ability so that to prove that he was God, he could take his hand and put it in his cloak and pull it out and it would be leprous. And you know what? He could take it and put it back in and pull it out and it'd be whole again. And, and well, and that happened right there when God first, but I believe that God gave him that ability to do that just so that if somebody needs to know that God sent you, stick your hand in your vest, pull it out, and let them, let them step back a little bit, and then put it back in and then go and ask them to shake your, your hand because your hand is whole. You see, God made him not only a prophet, a deliverer, a miracle worker, uh, a conqueror of Egypt, a national leader. He led, he led the whole nation of Israel out of Egypt. And guess what? <laughs> this is stretching it a little bit. No, it isn't. It's the scripture. <laughs> he was as a God to Aaron. He said, you know, Aaron's going to speak for you. You tell him what to say. And he has to, you tell him what to say. And he has to obey because you're going to be as God. He was so prophetic that Aaron looked at him as, Moses, if you say it, we're going to do it. We're going to, you know? So I'll tell you this. The difference in this situation was that God was with him versus what he saw himself to be out of natural eyes. So I'm saying trust that God is with you because that makes the difference in your identity. That, that erases all of those things for which you are shamed and, and, and come up short with. God is with you. It makes the difference. So here's three things. Turn aside. Take off your sandals. And trust God. Those three things are the things that you do in anticipation of wor worship. The rest God will do. 
The rest is, the rest he will do. And it will make the difference in you, in the family here, in our mission, as far as you can influence, it will make the difference because you're gonna be a different person if you truly worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And I was talking to Steve McFarland before, and he said, you know, there's some things that you can do, you can practice. What are the things that we need to do before we worship to kind of position ourselves so that we're in a, a, a worshipful posture, if you will? You know, we do those same things, or we should do those same things, when we come to the table. Don't we first turn aside? When we come to the table, you can't come to the table with, with your, uh, well, people don't carry Walkmans around with the music in your pocket or, you know, you, you understand? It's, it's, it's a sacrament, it's, it's sacred. It's something you don't play around coming to the table. As a matter of fact, the writer in the New Testament said, if you don't do this thing the right way, a lot of times that's why many are sick and, and, and sickly among you because you haven't appropriately honored and revered meeting with God at the table. Because you're meeting with Jesus. You know, God used the term I am, but Jesus fulfilled all that. And so he said, I am the bread of life. I'm the living water. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I am. He was the I am. Uh, he was the I am of God. So meeting with God, meeting with Jesus, worshiping him, it's the highest thing that we can do.